Hello and welcome to the Latter-day Saint Mission Cast. I'm your host, Nick Galetti. This episode is the next in our Basic Doctrine series, where we're focusing on the doctrine of the plan of salvation. Our guest for this episode is Dr. Brent Topp, a longtime and established and well-respected professor at BYU. Before we get into talking about the plan of salvation, we want to read what is on the church's website as the official teachings about the plan of salvation. In the pre-mortal existence, Heavenly Father introduced a plan to enable us to become like Him and obtain immortality and eternal life. The scriptures refer to this plan as the plan of salvation, the great plan of happiness, the plan of redemption, and the plan of mercy. The plan of salvation includes the creation, the fall, the atonement of Jesus Christ, and all of the laws, ordinances, and doctrines of the gospel. Moral agency, the ability to choose and act for ourselves, is also essential in Heavenly Father's plan. Because of this plan, we can be perfected through the atonement, receive a fullness of joy, and live forever in the presence of God. Our family relationships can last throughout the eternities. Premortal Life Before we were born on the earth, we lived in the presence of our Heavenly Father, as His spirit children. In this premortal existence, we participated in a council with Heavenly Father's other spirit children. During that council, Heavenly Father presented His plan, and the premortal Jesus Christ covenanted to be the Savior. We use our agency to follow Heavenly Father's plan. We prepared to come to earth, where we would continue to progress. Those who followed Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ were permitted to come to the earth to experience mortality and progress toward eternal life. Lucifer, another spirit son of God, rebelled against the plan. He became Satan, and he and his followers were cast out of heaven and denied the privilege of receiving a physical body and experiencing mortality. The Creation Jesus Christ created the heavens and the earth under the direction of the Father. The earth was not created from nothing. It was organized from existing matter. Jesus Christ has created worlds without number. The creation of the earth was essential to God's plan. It provided a place where we could gain a physical body, be tested and tried, and develop divine attributes. We are to use the earth's resources with wisdom, judgment, and thanksgiving. Adam was the first man created on the earth. God created Adam and Eve in his own image. All human beings, male and female, were created in the image of God. The Fall In the Garden of Eden, God commanded Adam and Eve not to partake of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The consequence of doing so would be spiritual and physical death. Spiritual death is separation from God. Physical death is the separation of the spirit from the mortal body. Because Adam and Eve transgressed God's command, they were cast out from his presence and became mortal. Adam and Eve's transgression and the resultant changes they experienced, including spiritual and physical death, are called the fall. As a result of the fall, Adam and Eve and their posterity could experience joy and sorrow, know good and evil, and have children. As descendants of Adam and Eve, we inherit a fallen condition during mortality. We are separated from the presence of the Lord and subject to physical death. We are also tested by the difficulties of life and the temptations of the adversary. The fall is an integral part of Heavenly Father's plan of salvation. It has a twofold direction downward, yet forward. 
In addition to introducing physical and spiritual death, it gave us the opportunity to be born on the earth and to learn and progress. Mortal Life Mortal life is a time of learning when we can prepare for eternal life and prove that we will use our agency to do all that the Lord has commanded. During this mortal life, we are to love and serve others. In mortality, our spirits are united with our physical bodies, giving us opportunities to grow and develop in ways that were not possible in the pre-mortal life. Our bodies are an important part of the plan of salvation and should be respected as a gift from our Heavenly Father. Life after death. When we die, our spirits enter the spirit world and await the resurrection. The spirits of the righteous are received into a state of happiness, which is called paradise. Many of the faithful will preach the gospel to those in spirit prison. Spirit prison is a temporary place in the post-mortal world for those who die without knowledge of the truth or for those who are disobedient in mortality. There, spirits are taught the gospel and have the opportunity to repent and accept ordinances of salvation that are performed for them in temples. Those who accept the gospel will dwell in paradise until the resurrection. Resurrection is the reuniting of our spirit bodies with our perfected physical bodies of flesh and bones. After resurrection, the spirit and body will never again be separated, and we will be immortal. Every person born on earth will be resurrected because Jesus Christ overcame death. The righteous will be resurrected before the wicked and will come forth in the first resurrection. The final judgment will occur after the resurrection. Jesus Christ will judge each person to determine the eternal glory that he or she will receive. The judgment will be based on each person's obedience to God's commands. There are three kingdoms of glory. The highest of these is the celestial kingdom. Those who are valiant in the testimony of Jesus and obedient to the principles of the gospel will dwell in the celestial kingdom in the presence of God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. The second of the three kingdoms of glory is the terrestrial kingdom. Those who dwell in this kingdom will be the honorable men and women of the earth who were not valiant in the testimony of Jesus. The telestial kingdom is the lowest of the three kingdoms of glory. Those who inherit this kingdom will be those who chose wickedness rather than righteousness during their mortal lives. These individuals will receive their glory after being redeemed from spirit prison. And now, further discussion on this basic doctrine of the plan of salvation with our guest, Brent Topp. On this episode of the Latter-day Saint Mission Cast, we are going to be going over the next in our Basic Doctrine series, and we're going to be talking about the doctrine, the plan of salvation. And our guest to talk about this is Brent Topp from BYU fame. Is that the right way to Well, kind of BYU intro it? <laughs> anyway. I don't know if there's any fame <laughs> any there. Fame. Well, some of our listeners may have uh, tuned into the scripture roundtables. Um, there are other different ways in which you may have come across some of his writings, but uh, thank you for being here. My pleasure. So part of this series is is going to go through all these different doctrines, and the one that runs previous to this was ours on the, the Godhead with Brother Millet. And so this one is kind of the next in what we might call the progression of understanding uh, we have the plan of salvation as a doctrine that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So what is the doctrine of the plan of salvation, and where can people go to kind of find support for that, that teaching? Well, the way that I try to teach it in my classes at BYU and also as a mission president, what I tried to do is we would teach these lessons from Preach My Gospel is to, to think of the, 
the three fundamental periods of of uh, of our eternal existence. You have the pre-mortal existence, the mortal existence, and then our post-mortal existence, which would include the spirit world and resurrection. And in order for all, or essential to all of that, would be that there had to be an atonement of Jesus Christ. The plan of redemption had to be uh, revealed and taught and understood by Heavenly Father's children. And I believe that it only makes sense. Now, I'm saying it that way so that it's not just, I'm not saying this is absolute doctrine. I'm just saying it makes sense as I understand the scriptures that the atonement of Jesus Christ has to be absolutely central in all three of those phases. So in the pre-mortal world, because our Heavenly Father loves his children and we are his children, which is a fundamental doctrine, that he is going to teach us about the plan that he has provided for us. And so in the pre-mortal world, we were, we were taught about the plan. We were taught about the principles of the gospel. We were taught about how the Savior would not only make it possible for us to overcome death, but also to overcome hell or the spiritual death that comes by reason of our own, our own fall. Then in mortality, even with a veil of forgetfulness, the atonement is once again taught, and those same exact principles are taught again. Then we go beyond this life, and Doctrine and Covenants section 138, President Joseph F. Smith's vision of the redemption of the dead, teaches us exactly the same way. It says in the pre-mortal world that we, we received lessons uh, in our pre-mortal world, and I would imagine those lessons were about the plan, right. the plan of salvation, and uh, what our earth life would be like. Also, it says that in the spirit world, they were taught the principles of the gospel, the same principles of faith, repentance, and then in resurrection, that becomes the manifestation of the atonement of Jesus Christ. It is now what we could say is the fulfillment in the ultimate sense, even though we have experienced the fulfillment of the atonement in some other ways all along the way repentance, cleansing of our sins, uh, changing of our nature. All of those things are byproducts of the atonement throughout our first estate, second estate, and then the ultimate resurrection and eternal life is the fulfillment of the atonement of Jesus Christ. Yeah. We, we often as missionaries, we think that this is where we draw that That's right. iconic image of the mm-hmm. pre-mortal life, earth life, and so on. And so we often think that that is the plan, mm-hmm. is to go from place to place. And, mm-hmm. and as the hope would be that we are progressing at each one of these stages and in different ways that are unique to each of those phases. Absolutely. So when you have a situation where someone is teaching the doctrine of the plan of salvation, is that it? Is, is what we've just talked about, is, is that the plan? Well, it, it's a nice uh, flip chart uh, yeah. diagram or PowerPoint diagram or back in the old days when I was a young missionary, flannel board discussion oh, yeah. with the little pieces <laughs> on the flannel board. 
But the danger with a flip chart approach or a diagram approach or even sometimes object lesson or analogy approaches is it doesn't tell the whole story. It makes it simple for people to understand, but it misses some of the nuances and the the deeper points. So, for example, uh, I've always been bothered by some of the elements of that diagram. Okay. Uh, and, and one of them that really bugs me is that when we speak of a veil of forgetfulness, uh-huh. it makes it look like there is this total cleansing of the hard drive before you come into mortality. <laughs> and I don't believe that for a minute. And and the reason why we say that is because Elder Maxwell once said that when we say, I know, in bearing testimony, in reality, we're saying, I know again. I remember. And, and we are remembering. We may not even remember that we're remembering, but it is coming back through us. And that's why I love the term avail. We may not be able to have this clear picture of it, but there are things that come back to us and we bring some things with us. The memory, the spirituality developed there, we bring that with us. Another thing that causes me some problems with the the diagram is where we have the final judgment. To me, that makes it look like there's no judgment anywhere along the way. And that's that's not true. As we think about it, we are being judged every phase of our of those probationary Absolutely. periods, pre-mortally, mortally, and post-mortally. For some people, and we know from doctrine, for some people, there was a final judgment in the pre-mortal world based on like little children that die without accountability. There was something that prompted them or um, what we would say is enabled them to gain eternal life and in order for the plan of salvation to be in full operation there. And for others, we were, we were judged in some way because the doctrine of ordination yeah. Where Abraham says of the noble and great ones. Elder Orson Pratt said if there were noble and great ones, that means there were some not so noble and great ones. Right. And in in order for that to be, there was some degree of judgment. I know what we mean by the last judgment, but I don't believe for a second that when we die and we're, quote, in the waiting room to be resurrected, <laughs> that we're sitting around wondering where we're going to go. Yeah, I don't think it's like we were waiting to see whether or not we made the school play or made the basketball team and we're waiting for the lists <laughs> to be posted. And that it's completely out of our control. Exactly. And I think as we've had the spirit in our lives, we've had what we might say temporary judgments or or preliminary judgments all along the way. Yeah. And, and so that's one of the things that has always bugged me is that the judgment is, I believe, it is an acknowledgement that every and every knee bows in in submission and recognition of the greatness of our Father's plan and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's not like we're just being evaluated at that point. I think that uh, I think we know, and already we know that there are people that have already been resurrected. And when the Savior comes again, there is resurrection all throughout that thousand years. So. 
if we were to put it just as there's this big final judgment for all of mankind, it really gives the wrong impression of the doctrine of judgment throughout, uh, throughout our phases of our lives. So this final judgment idea feels very much like we borrowed that from other faiths, and we, we kind of feel like that's the, um, I would almost say, Judeo-Christian line, that there's this universal salvation or condemnation that happens to everybody. Mm-hmm. What are the other ways in which other faiths kind of either wrestle with or teach a version of the plan of salvation? When we're talking to investigators or people of other faiths, how do they interact with our teachings on this? Well, I think that's a really good question, and I think it's we need to be sensitive to the fact that much of what we understand about the plan of salvation comes to us not from the Bible, but from the restored gospel and modern revelation and prophetic commentary. Let me give you an example of that. Several years ago, when I was serving as department chair of the Church History and Doctrine, my office was right across the the hall from our big conference room. And in the conference room was a group of students, both Latter-day Saint and Evangelical Christian, and they were having a dialogue, which we would do a few times a year, bringing university students from other places to dialogue with BYU students. And that day, the particular topic was on the fall of Adam. Okay. And uh, interestingly, one of my students was in in the dialogue, and about halfway into this dialogue, she comes running into my office and says, Brother Top, we are making absolutely no headway in this discussion. We cannot even come to any form of agreement on what we believe. And I said to her, well, it's because you are approaching the fall of Adam from Second Nephi in the Book of Mormon. Right. And they're approaching it strictly from the Bible, and from the Bible, the view of Adam and Eve is dramatically different. And so, I think one of the things we need to recognize is what is it that a Christian is bringing to the equation from the Bible alone, and not us as Latter-day Saints assume that they have the knowledge of doctrine. Yeah. That we have. And so we need to be a little bit sensitive and maybe inquiring why they believe what they do rather than maybe saying, well, no, that's wrong and here's what what it is, is to recognize that as a result they come with a narrower or more fragmentary view of some of the doctrines. And I think the fall of Adam— and how that affects the atonement is a great example of it. Another example that I think uh, that illustrates it is the concept of salvation where we would say, because it is clearly in the Book of Mormon as well as in the New Testament, that no person can be saved who has not accepted Jesus as the Savior and that nobody can be saved without ordinances of salvation. But then they bring that to it and say, this is biblical, that you have to accept Jesus, and yet the vast majority of the inhabitants of the earth have never even heard about Jesus. Right. And so they're bringing their understanding of what the limitation is of the Bible, and yet what they're saying is absolutely true, 
But what we're saying is absolutely true, but we're bringing with it additional revelation that we've had. And the idea of work for the dead or everybody being given an opportunity, I think, is another great example of how you would have to recognize uh, that a person that says, if you don't accept Jesus, you're going to go to hell. Well, the Bible leaves that impression, but we have to have more. What is it meant by that? And what does it mean then to understand and accept and so forth? Yeah. It, it implies so much into how we view God. Right. The character of God. Yeah. yeah. It, it, that in fact, there's a, a, a great example of that from Latter-day Saint church history. You remember the story as we read in Joseph Smith's own account that his older brother Alvin died. Mm-hmm. And when Alvin died, they were having the funeral in the church there in Palmyra, a church that uh, Lucy, the mom, had been affiliating with. But uh, And Joseph Sr. and Joseph Jr., of course, and uh, Lucy Mack Smith talk about the nobility of character of Alvin. And yet in his funeral, the preacher that was preaching at the funeral said that he's going to hell— because he was never baptized. Mm -hmm. And so Joseph Smith Sr. was so offended by that because Alvin was so good and he had heard Joseph tell about the first vision and the, the plates, but he was he died unexpectedly before baptism that Joseph Sr. just felt like God doesn't work that way. And that really negative experience with how God would treat his children stuck in Joseph the prophet's craw and becomes one of the reasons why he is pondering and praying about that as to what about those that have never heard. And now I find it interesting that one of the interesting debates in Protestant uh, evangelical, particularly Christianity, is that fairness, the doctrine of fairness. And yeah. how can you, without being a universalist, meaning everybody's going to gain salvation, yeah. and without being a God is so uh, punitive that if you, even if you've never heard about Jesus, You're he's going to damn you to yeah. hell, that doesn't speak well of a loving father that is the author of a plan of salvation and love and mercy for his children. And so then you begin to see that balance of the restored gospel, how we can cling tightly to the standards of the gospel and the expectations of acceptance of ordinances and embracing the atonement of Jesus Christ, but then allowing all of Heavenly Father's children the full opportunity to embrace the gospel. Yeah. This is kind of that justice and mercy idea that we, we often hear people talking about. And, and so we do have, again, back to the, the basic of this, we have the concept of our progression through time mm -hmm. and through eternity. And that in and of itself, the fact that we can be together as families and that this work can continue, mm -hmm. that's great. That's a great thing to teach. Um, but as the case is with a lot of things, we tend to also venture into areas uh, where we might call these things folk doctrines or things where there's a, let's just maybe say our, our hobby studies have taken us in different directions and we feel it's our choice to teach those things is alongside these doctrines. And so I want to go through some of the list of these things that we might consider to be 
myth doctrines, cultural doctrines, things that may be true but are not safe perhaps to teach, or in some cases they're not supported. Mm -hmm. So let's go through these. I have a, a list of these, and if you've got any, feel free to jump in with them. But one thing that a lot of people have questioned about is progression through the kingdoms, the idea that we mm -hmm. can start out in one and go to another. Um, and, and I know where a lot of that comes from, but there is a, a passage at the, in the Doctrine and Covenants section 76 that I don't think can be overlooked. And that is where it talks about in the resurrection to the telestial glory, and it says, but where God and Christ are, they cannot come worlds without end. And I've heard people try to explain that away, and uh, I've heard people try to say, well, the the worlds are, and the kingdoms of God progress, and so the telestial will ultimately progress to where the terrestrial is, and, and, and so we're always progressing, but ultimately everyone's going to, to have a celestial glory. And President Spencer W. Kimball taught rather emphatically that, uh, that there is no progression between kingdom uh, to kingdom. And while that is a, pro a, a prophetic statement that I hold near and dear— I really think it's it's very, very dangerous to try to say if section 76 says these are the qualifications for someone that is resurrected to a telestial glory, that somehow the Lord doesn't really mean what he says and that it's going to change. And so any explanation of kingdom progression I think is pure speculation, and it never really deals with this notion of resurrection and the nature of people's resurrection. See, I was always under the impression that, that nothing had been authoritatively been revealed one way or the mm -hmm. other, because I've heard it said both ways. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm sure that there will be explanations that way, but... But that verse in Doctrine and Covenants section, in section 76, I think, personally, is a hard one to get around. Gotcha. So the next one that I have is, and we kind of touched on this, actually, was those that are handicapped in this life in some form, um, if that's the right word, were privileged in the preexistence, mm -hmm. and as a result, they get a free pass. Mm -hmm. It seems hard to call this a doctrine. Mm -hmm. Um, because it doesn't necessarily, it's not very universal for starters. Mm -hmm. But what is the relevance of that teaching? Why do we teach it? Why do we hold on to that? Uh, well, I think that, again, because we're trying to make sense out of conditions and challenges in mortality that just don't make sense. And yet the doctrine of premortality is really an important doctrine to help us make sense of some things. And one of the great examples of that is in John chapter 8, when there is a blind man uh, begging on the steps of the entrance going into the temple. And this is a blind man that is obviously known to the disciples and known to the people because he's always there begging. And the disciples ask Jesus, uh, who sinned that this man was born blind? His parents or himself. And so clearly, even 
in Jesus's time, in the first century, they're thinking that there is some kind of cause and effect between the conditions of mortality and a pre-mortal existence, which is a very interesting implication right. in Doctrine Covenant or in uh, John chapter eight. There, that's a very interesting, right. subtle implication there. Uh, and Jesus says neither. And Jesus goes on to say that it was done that the Son of Man might be glorified. But we could also go on to say that sometimes things happen in mortality not because of what somebody did in the premortal existence or what somebody did in this life, but sometimes it's just because we live in a fallen world. And so we like to think of, of people that had handicaps that— they they chose their their handicap in the premortal world that we don't have any evidence of that whatsoever and uh, that's not something that we can say even though it makes parents and siblings and those that are trying to comfort uh, feel better. It's just not doctrinal. There are coordinations of which conditions in mortality might be part of it that may have been a result of our faithfulness or our righteousness. Sometimes, and more likely most of the time, it's because of God's wisdom of what is best for the individual or best for others around them. And sometimes it's just God's decision that this is going to further the work of the plan of salvation in mortality. Last I checked, God doesn't always tell us which of those three it is. Right. <laughs> and when we make that assumption, we're making judgments and speculations uh, that haven't been declared in, in Scripture. There is some little bit of, of a caveat to that, and that might be with little children that die before the age of accountability. Sure. You know, section 138, section 137, in talking about that, uh, one of the greatest uh, uh, discourses on that was Elder McConkie's The Salvation of Little Children. And it makes it, he makes a pretty clear statement there that they're not going to be tested afterwards, which would indicate that if you're going to keep the justice and fairness of God, and he's not going to allow mercy to rob justice, it would logically, not doctrinally, but logically assume there was some kind of testing and probationary period before they came to earth. But but I, I would just say we have to be really, really careful that we don't say that certain handicaps or certain families or and closely related that is did we choose our parents or right. did we choose our spouse in the premortal existence uh, one of my former colleagues uh, Joseph Fielding McConkie made a wonderful statement where he says uh, Latter-day Saints like to follow the script rather than the scriptures <laughs> and uh, and it was that came out right at the time that that uh, Saturday's Warrior, oh, yeah. My Turn on Earth, was coming into play. And that, that we love it because it, it's a wonderful play or it's a wonderful musical. But, uh, but this idea of choosing, we don't have any scriptural evidence of that. Now, some people may say, well, my patriarchal blessing says that. Well, that may be true, but patriarchal blessings do not declare the doctrine of the church. Right. And I, I would, to, to kind of go back to that, 
one person's choice can't limit another's. Oh, absolutely. You can see the you can see the implications for that, and we run into that all the time to say, well. I've got. I've received the witness of the Spirit that she is the person that I covenanted with in the premortal <laughs> existence, and she feels 180 degrees differently than that. Right. That's a, a a great example of that. Yeah, you got that a lot of you are you. Oh <laughs> yeah, we get that. <laughs> so one of the the next things is kind of this idea that that the spirit world is here on Earth, mm-hmm. and I think Brigham Young was kind of the first one to introduce that mm-hmm. concept. And I don't know how many other people have really talked about it or its relevance to oh, the plan. I think, um, I've, and I've written quite a bit on the premortal existence, so I think I, I know the sources quite well there. But Brigham clearly taught, and, and he just says it in the context of the Book of Mormon teaching where it says that uh, when we die, we are brought into the presence of God. And, and Brigham uses uses it to say, well, we are not brought into the presence uh, the presence of God, or even within a few rods or yards uh, of of God, so he's really kind of dropping a a phrase that has then become an important part of our teaching, but it's in a little different context. And then he teaches though that the spirit world that is right here on this earth, and then he doesn't really say much more about it. Right. Elder Orson Pratt is the one that probably elaborated the most, and then we could say since that time, it has, to a large degree, crept into our Latter-day Saint teachings, and we see it all throughout there, but there isn't anything specifically in the scriptures that say that, but Elder Orson Pratt talked about it in the context of the Spirit, and he says that just like uh, humans, daughters and sons of God, have a spirit component and a physical component, a tangible component, and he then talked about it in the same way with the earth. The realm of the earth has a spiritual domain and a physical domain. And then we can certainly see that in the Doctrine and Covenants in the book of Moses when it talks about that the Lord created all things spiritually Mm -hmm. before they were created temporally. And so that's where this doctrine and I say that in quotation marks, (laughs) uh, where that comes from is Brigham just taught it matter-of-factly. Orson Pratt tried to explain the theology behind it, and then we couple it with scriptures of the spirit creation and the temporal creation. And just like we have a spirit within our tabernacle, the spirit, and and when the tabernacle isn't there, the spirit uh, continues, and then it then becomes logical to assume that that applies to a realm or a world the same way. It's just, it isn't explicitly stated in the scriptures. Got it. While that's where it comes from historically and scripturally, I happen to believe personally that that doctrine, that notion of the spirit world being transposed over the earthly tabernacle, the earthly uh, creation, I happen to believe that is an extraordinarily comforting doctrine for those people that lose 
loved ones. And, and the reason why I say that is how often do we hear about uh, people thinking of their loved ones uh, that have gone up to heaven, gone off to heaven, and they often point, and you can see athletes or whatever when they, you know, and you <laughs> yeah. see the commentators and they're pointing up to the sky. I think for the, those of us that have lost loved ones, it's a comforting doctrine to know, as the prophet Joseph Smith taught, that the spirits of our departed loved ones are not far from us, and that to think of them in some other planet, spiritual or otherwise, clear out in the cosmos 30 billion light years away, seems rather distant, whereas this notion that there is a spirit world right here belonging to the human family, I think that's a beautiful, comforting doctrine as well. Interesting. All right. The next one is, again, something I think I've heard before, and I don't think this is just kind of crept in somewhere, but there are three degrees within the celestial kingdom, or those that are in the lowest of the three will be angels to those in the highest degree. Well, now, there's, a, there's both truth and opinion in that question. Okay. Uh, and in fact, uh, often on questions just like as you started this, I have, I've had so many of my students through the years that would say in class, and I always open my class period, they can ask any questions that they want, and they always will say, well, Brother Top, I heard somewhere. And I, I jokingly say, do you realize that is the most often cited source right. in all of the church? <laughs> I heard somewhere before. Uh, but then they ask me something like that, and I will always ask them a question and say, do you want the truth or we could say in this context, do you want the doctrine or my opinion? And invariably, they will say, well, I want the truth, or I want to know right. what the doctrine is. And when I say, I don't know, it hasn't been revealed, they invariably then say, well, what is your opinion? <laughs> right. And so there is doctrine associated with that question, and that is that uh, in the Doctrine and Covenants, the Lord clearly taught to the prophet Joseph Smith uh, that there are three kingdoms or glories, for lack of a better way of saying it, uh, within the celestial kingdom. And in order to obtain the highest of that, a person must be obedient to the principles and laws and ordinances of, uh, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, including the ordinance of eternal marriage. Right. And, and so that's doctrine. There's no quibbling over that. And, uh, and the, the doctrine there where they may attain unto the others, but uh, they will not be having inheriting all that the Father has. And so you have section uh, 131 and then 132 and and one of the things we have to remember on this is this is this is a revelation uh, section 76 is a revelation that comes before the prophet Joseph Smith more fully understands what celestial glory exaltation is and how it's different. And so there is certainly doctrine in that question, but does that mean, is this a person that chooses not to marry in this life? And I've heard that yeah. statement before. This is a person that's uh, really good, but hasn't been obedient to all of the ordinances of the gospel. Uh, I've heard that before. We don't know that. Yeah. And I, I think that the prophet learned what he learned and, and we leave it at that. 
and we we let the Doctrine and Covenants passage speak for itself and uh, and just recognize it for that. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, what what are ministering angels? I mean, the Lord has told us what angels are, but when we say, well, you're resurrected and you're a, a ministering angel because you didn't live the covenants and ordinances of the gospel, that one's a little harder for me to swallow. Uh, and so I'll leave yeah. it at that. No, that's good. And it's it's funny as we kind of have these experiences and talking about the plan of salvation, again, we, we interject so many things that we hope it yeah. has. Yeah. And, and, and we want these things to be true sometimes. And it's a challenge, I know, as a missionary, because you sometimes you'll see these people that are hurting. They have questions. Mm-hmm. They may have had right. a loss of, of a family member. And in an effort to teach something to comfort them, we may sometimes extend beyond what we know. And that, that's a great example. In fact, let me just share with you a quick example of when I was a young missionary in Denmark. And uh, I, I was the senior companion, and and we were in teaching an investigator that we had committed to baptism and, and w- had been coming to church and was making great progress. And after church one time, uh, we were teaching her, and she said, I have one important question I would need to ask you. And, and we were all ears and said, sure, we'll answer any question you have. And she said, um, I want to know what you Latter-day Saints feel about uh, suicide. And the word in Danish, as it is in other Germanic languages, uh, for suicide is self-murder. So it comes right out like that. And so... Uh, when she said, uh, well, what do you think about a person that commits suicide? I said, being the senior companion, thinking I know all things, <laughs> I said, well, it's just like the word is says. This person has committed murder and as a result will go to the lowest kingdom of glory. And And at that point, she said, well, if that's the case, then I don't want anything more to do with you Latter-day Saints. She said, because my husband committed suicide and I cannot bear the thought that he will never, ever, ever be able to be saved. As we were walking, we felt a little slapped down at that point, and rightfully so. As we were walking down the street, my my companion said, uh, Elder Top, uh, you were a little too judgmental and a little too harsh on that without knowing all the details. I said, what do you mean? I just, it, this, it is what it is. And it says in section 76, murderers. And, and I was pretty self-assured. And, and my companion said, well, it's not as black and white and it, like you think. He said, my father committed suicide and I am the one that found the body. And he said, I have had to ask harder questions in the years since then. And as I began to think about that, that I was too quick to give a judgmental answer. And we know now, and Elder Ballard has talked so beautifully about it, and with the uh, with suicides being a very serious concern in this day, that there are more things at play there that will come into play that will, God, will allow God to be a God of justice, but also extend the maximum amount of mercy. 
President J. Reuben Clark Jr. made a wonderful statement once where he says, when it comes time to the final judgment, God is going to exact the least amount of justice that he possibly can to be a just God, and he will extend the greatest amount of mercy. And and I think in that regard, with that case, I was exacting justice and not thinking about mercy. And there is a perfect example of how with regards to the kingdoms of glory and who's going to be yeah. saved and who's not going to be saved, we can't make those judgments. And and we can declare and talk about what the scriptures teach are the standards and the criteria and, and who what the Lord has said as opportunities for everyone, but we better not be the ones that are damning people to hell or claiming ourselves to be saved. Yeah, it's so interesting. On this particular topic, there seems to be so many questions that are not, what is the teaching, but what is the status of this person, right. or what's my relationship right. to this? Mm-hmm. What's in, in, I even had some that was, what's the relationship of my mother who yep. died and this and that? Yeah, and, and I think it should be part of our practice to say, I can teach you what the scriptures and the prophets have said. Yep. How that applies in your own life is not my place. Yeah, that's, let me give you another quick example of, a, of something that I do in my classes when we talk about Doctrine and Covenants section 137, particularly in what it, what it means to be heirs of salvation and what section 137 is talking in the context of the plan of salvation. Uh, I give them an example from my, my Danish background. I said, my great-great-grandfather, Hans Peter Nielsen in, uh, in Denmark, never heard about the gospel at all. And I said, when he dies and goes in and died and goes into the spirit world, is he going to be taught the gospel and have the opportunity to exercise faith and, and have accept vicarious ordinances and, and be an heir of celestial glory? And all of the students say, absolutely, positively. That's what the scriptures say. I said, great. I agree totally. Okay, I said, let me go to the next generation. My grandfather emigrated to the United States uh, at the turn of the 20th century uh, from Denmark, and uh, and he on the ship as he was going from Copenhagen, Denmark, to then Liverpool, and from Liverpool to uh, to America. On the ship were many Latter Day Saint converts who were also emigrating to Utah. And so they had talked to him and taught him a, taught a little bit about the the religion. And then he settled, homesteaded property in southeastern Idaho, and lived among Latter Day Saints. But he never joined the church. I said, so when he died and goes into the spirit world, is he going to be taught the gospel? The answer is, of course, he's going to be taught the gospel. I said, now, is he going to be an heir of salvation if he embraces the gospel, has the the baptisms for the dead and the temple work done for him? And there they started to hedge a little bit because they start to think, well, he heard about the church and your great-grandfather hasn't. And so as we discuss and dissect that a little bit, and, and they weren't quite as confident in that regard. And so then I said, okay, let me skip a generation. My father's a convert to the church, became less active in their early teenage years, falling in with the wrong crowd. 
never have been active in the church. They're still alive, but if they die, will the gospel be taught to them? Now, the class is even beginning to be mixed on whether they're even going to be, right. even have the gospel taught to them, even though President Joseph F. Smith says the gospel is preached to all, not just non-members, yeah. not just those that never knew anything about the church. And I said, can they be heirs of celestial glory? And they said, no. Uh, many of them said no because uh, they were born and raised in a Latter-day Saint home. They they were active in the church up till their teenage years. And so then I just asked them that the question, how would you like to be judged eternally by decisions you made when you were 14, 15, 16, 17 years old? And so they begin to back up a little bit there. And the point I'm trying to say is that, hey, each of them— their circumstances are unique. What's in their heart is unique that only God can see, and that none of them had really fully availed themselves of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what would be the difference between the three? I cannot really make that judgment yeah. based on external factors. And yet we find ourselves asking Doing those it questions. All the time. Yep. All the time. And, uh, and, and just because we're a member of the church, then that means we have knowledge of the gospel. I mean, we, we can look in, in any ward, any stake, there is a wide spectrum of people that have knowledge of the gospel and testimonies of Jesus Christ and have felt the Spirit in their life. And is God going to judge them all exactly the same way? My students would always say, no, they're not going to be judged. And yet when we as missionaries, take that assumption that this person can't gain the celestial kingdom, then we're making that judgment. Yeah. And we're doing the opposite of what we're trying to say, that God will judge according to the desires of their hearts. Yeah, exactly. And so the last question then uh, to, to kind of, it's kind of a question, I guess, is what would be some of the policies or practices that we might attribute to the plan of salvation? In what ways do we interact with this doctrine other than just a, a knowledge of the kingdoms? Well, uh, I think that uh, we would clearly see that, and it and it kind of fits with uh, the lesson, the gospel of Jesus Christ, because they kind of blend together, the, the plan of salvation, yeah. uh, the atonement, and, and the principles and ordinances of the gospel of Jesus Christ are all part of that. So we, we teach the plan of salvation maybe as a, as a global uh, view of things, maybe from 30,000 feet, and then yeah. we begin to bore down with the subsequent missionary lessons. But I think one that uh, jumps to mind immediately would be the notion of temple work and salvation for the dead. The, the ordinance we've talked about already is that our Heavenly Father gives the plan of salvation to his children and gives them the principles of the gospel. But at various times in the history of the world, certain practices have changed. And so there wasn't temple work prior to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And clearly, in this dispensation, not fully until Nauvoo, and, and then not even fully of salvation for the dead until into the 1870s up until the 20th century. So there's been some tweaking, even, the, even though the doctrine of the plan being available to all of Heavenly Father's children 
how that becomes available through temple work, policies of family history, doing the ordinances for the dead, all of those things would be examples of of that. Uh, uh, The other thing that uh, jumps into my head there, and again, it's Clear, it's still re- directed to the atonement of Jesus Christ, but and the and the gospel. But when when we speak of that, the central focus of the plan of salvation is the atonement of Jesus Christ. That doctrine never changes, but how our Father in heaven has helped to teach his children to focus their attention on that central focus of the plan of salvation has changed through the law of sacrifice to Adam, the mosaic ordinances and practices of the laws of purification, all of those kinds of things, where the central doctrine is the atonement of Jesus Christ and the salvation that comes through him, and then the principles and particular specific practices, or lack of a better way of saying it, policies, have changed according to the needs and circumstances and the cultures of the people. Yeah, on the church's website, under Plan of Salvation, they have these subheadings. Pre-mortal life, the creation, the fall, mortal life, life after death. These are things that we typically throw as the plan of salvation. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned it, but I think there's no place better than the temple mm-hmm. that teaches the plan of salvation in all its Absolutely. all its ways. of, and, and that, you could say, is a policy. Yeah. It's a practice. Temple... Well, the methodology, yeah. the, 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 the methodology of how the temple is taught yeah. clearly changes, but the plan of salvation doesn't. You're, right. The ordinances, again, like we talked about earlier, may or may not have been exactly the same or whatever, but, but I think that's a, a great example is the we see what, what Elder Bruce R. McConkie called as the three pillars of eternity, the three supreme events of the plan of salvation are the creation, the fall, and the atonement. And clearly, all three are spelled out in such beautiful detail in, in the temple yeah. ordinances. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming in and helping us to gain a greater understanding of the plan of salvation and to help us maybe see some of the things that we could avoid. Yep. as well, and to not perpetuate those things. But thank you again for coming in and talking uh, about my, it. My pleasure. Like I said, uh, I have probably more opinions than <laughs> I always know the doctrines, but yeah, that's right. we should focus on the doctrine and uh, study and search as much as we can so that we can indeed know the doctrine. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Latter-day Saint Mission Cast. In our Basic Doctrine series, this has been The Plan of Salvation. Next, we will have an episode in this series on the Atonement of Jesus Christ. Please stay tuned for that episode, and stay subscribed to the Latter-day Saint Mission Cast through iTunes, on Stitcher, or on Spotify. Thanks for listening.